The pandemic has changed the way many of us do business. For some, it means working from home, Zoom meetings, and not wearing shoes. For others, it means dealing with issues and disruptions related to their supply chain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by Clear Risk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by a longtime member of the business continuity industry, fellow of the BCI, and expert on supply chain resilience, Betty Kildow. Join us as Betty provides practical tips for making supply chains more resilient, gives advice on how to leverage risk and vulnerabilities, shares what questions you need to ask your suppliers, and explains how not to turn collaboration into a turf war. We're going to learn about supply chain resilience right after this from ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Betty, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. Before we get uh, into this, tell the listeners about yourself. And here's the big question. How did you get into business continuity? That's a question I get asked often. And I I would love to be able to tell you I had a well-planned trip <laughs> to get into this. I, at one time, didn't even know what it was. But trust me, I love what I'm doing. Uh, I had ended up doing several things in the business arena and then actually got hired as a subcontractor to a small consulting company that did emergency preparedness and response. And I loved it, Uh, learned a lot. Um, And then this thing that came in the background, it wasn't even business continuity, it was business recovery at first, that came as an offshoot of disaster recovery. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. I'm really interested in that and started pursuing it, worked on it. At that time, we were all kind of working together. And I don't want to say making it up while we went along, but a little bit of that, too, some trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, then I was so fortunate. A lot of this has been so lucky. The University of California, Berkeley had an, a, a graduate program that covered business continuity and it was an executive program. So I could work and do the program. And so that's where it started there. I met a gentleman named John Lay, who is uh, no longer walking on this planet, but it was an unofficial mentor. And he would call me up after he was also one of my instructors in this program and said, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And I I get this call and said, hey, kid, are you going to this meeting? And so he really pushed me along there. Uh, Really glad to get that formal education. So ultimately, more and more and more, I'm changing over to now business continuity. And I feel that I have grown as the practice of business continuity has grown. Uh, Ultimately did work at becoming one of the first fellows in the BCI in the United States. Uh, also in DRI, I am a certified business continuity professional. Then uh, ISO 22301 came along and I fell in love with it because it talked about supply chain. 
and how important it was for top management to be involved. And so uh, actually I'm now an ISO 22301 master and, and trainer in there. I still love what I do. Uh, honestly, I have thought two or three times about retiring or really slowing down. And every time I do something exciting comes along and I'm in there still 110%. I believe in what we do. I love doing it. An overused term is I am passionate about business continuity, but I am passionate about business continuity and business resilience and disaster recovery and cybersecurity and all of those things where we all work together. So uh, that's a little bit about me. You know, you're right about the the term passionate and it does get kind of overused. But I remember connecting with you on LinkedIn after I saw you speak at a BCI event or something. And it was it was that passion that you had and it's contagious. And and I'm glad that we've been able to connect and just listening to you now for the first couple of minutes, even more glad that you're a guest on the podcast. I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you. Uh, And it's interesting. And I could go down so many different paths based on what you just said in, in your intro there, but the importance of having a mentor, it really made a difference for you. And, and now we're approaching that point of our <clears throat> age, uh, career, uh, you know, where we can be mentors and it's really a privilege to do that. It is. Now you've done something that I've always wanted to do and haven't gotten the chance to do yet. Um, you've written a book on supply chain management. It's called a supply chain management guide to business continuity. Mm-hmm. And now the book came out in 2011 Yes. And what I'd like to ask you about that is, has the approach of incorporating business continuity principles within supply chain management, has it changed much over the last 11 years? Is it evolving? It's evolving like every other part of business continuity is evolving. Uh, We cannot stay static. The world doesn't stay static. Business doesn't stay static. We have to change because our goal is to keep businesses up and running regardless And so the changes that we make have to reflect and enable us to be able to do that. Um, Again, principles are very much the same. It's the application of them in today's world, not as we were doing it 10 years ago. And it's much easier today than it was 10 years ago. Oh, how so? The reason I wrote that book was because I was doing a lot of of, of consulting and it included manufacturers It included wholesale retail companies, and I would go in and talk to them about supply chain, and I would get these, why do we need to do that? We we outsource a lot of that, and it was really an education, and I think a lot of it was not only did they not want to do it, they did not know how to do it. I talked to a lot of business continuity managers and companies said, well, you know, that's kind of outside the organization. The supply chain is outside. And so it was, I wanted to do things, sell the importance of it and educate about the importance of it and give people a guide for doing it. And and I think that was part of it. It was, here are the steps. You take business continuity, you take supply chain, and we're going to have them collaborate and make sure that the lifeblood of the organization, which is what I think the supply chain is, will be able to function regardless of disruptions, regardless of disasters. 
You know, we have a lot going on in the world right now on supply chain, a lot of interruptions and things like that. So mm -hmm. that resilience, that continuity of being able to keep that lifeblood going is is more and probably more critical than ever. We, we see business continuity sort of evolving. The word resilience is maybe overused right now. Um, but if anything, trying to build a more resilient organization just furthers those principles, right? It absolutely did. It's interesting. Um, how many years ago was it we started really hearing the word resilience? And I would go in and talk to someone from a company and they said, well, we want to be resilient. I said, what is that? What does it look like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, because it was new and it was almost like a buzzword of what it's finally settling in. And I think we get it. We know what resilient is. It's uh, it's looking ahead. It's taking care of the future as well as today. I think that's a big element in resilience. Uh, but I think business continuity and resilience. I don't think you can have a resilient organization without business continuity. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can have a fit for purpose, mature business continuity program without including resilience as part of that. I think it's it's really two pieces uh, of a whole. And I think that it needs very much for the two to work together. Uh, it, again, um, we talk about in business continuity that all the elements of an organization need to embed, embed business continuity. Right. All the different divisions, all the different departments, they need to embed business continuity. However, is it not equally true that business continuity needs to embed <laughs> those different functions in the organization? So what it comes down to is, I, I refer to it as co-embedding. Hmm. And what it comes down to is the thing I preach. It's, you know, we need to cooperate, collaborate, and communicate. And I think if someone is focusing on resilience, they need to stay in contact and work with the business continuity people and vice versa. So you've used the word collaboration a couple of times here, and you're right. I mean, we can't work in silos. We always encourage uh, business continuity professionals to get out there and build allies and build relationships and work with teams. So let's talk about that in the context of both supply chain and trying to make a more resilient organization. For me, being resilient is about being intentional. It's deliberate. It's about being proactive. So how does that proactive, resilient philosophy apply to supply chain management? Like, what are some techniques you could recommend there? Well, okay, let me just start about this. First of all, a couple of things about supply chains. Supply chains aren't supply chains anymore. They're supply networks, but we're going to continue to use that term supply chain because it's historic and it's what we do. Fair enough. But originally, supply chains, and this is, this is my hit on it, looking back at them historically, they were not designed they yeah. happened. They evolved, yeah. They and you know, and so because of that, uh, 
there was no thought to continuity is okay we're adding this we're adding that we've got some new suppliers we're growing over here so i think sometimes of the winchester mystery house in california which was the house where she she was part of the winchester rifle family very eccentric woman and she has this house in san jose california that's there you can go tour it and she just kept building rooms and secret passages onto this mansion and it went on and on and on that's kind of what our supply chains look like now. So I think we've had to take a step back and revisit our supply chains, really take a look at it. Where are we vulnerable within our supply chains? You know, where are our greatest risks in supply chains? Um, and I have, and I, I talked about it in the book and I still talk about it. I think a very interesting and very um profitable thing to do is spend some time and money on mapping your supply chains if you have not done it. Where do they go? Where do they come from? Uh, and you do that so you really get a greater understanding. And we've got to remember supply chains start way outside our companies. They're our suppliers. They're what they're supplying to us, parts, pieces, you know, services. How are they getting them there? Mm -hmm. And then we take them inside and we manufacture or we produce our product, our service. And then how are they getting to where they need to be? And where are we vulnerable? Where do we have redundancies? Where are there only sole source or sole uh, suppliers that can be really an Achilles heel to our organization? And it's really understanding that. And then when we understand them, some of these are what we call single points of failure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes organizations don't even know where those are. You have to know where they are before you can know how to remedy them. So I'm going to jump into like a lightning round here and ask you some very quick questions out of what you just said. Um, how many levels back do you recommend doing the, the mapping? Uh, the mapping, I like to go... Uh, I like to go, okay, we have primary, we have secondary. I like to get, I like to go to tertiary. Again, the more important the supplier is and what are they, what they are supplying to you is the farther back you want to go. A lot of companies will look at their supplier, maybe look at the secondary, that's tier two. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes after that, it's a black hole. But if that's one of your most critical suppliers, I strongly suggest let's look another level or two beyond that. That was the other thing I wanted to ask you was, do we just do that for the most critical suppliers? I think if you're starting it, that's where you start. Mm -hmm. And then as you have the system, a business continuity system married to supply chain continuity, then you can take a look again. Okay, we've had some problems there. Let's go back into that one and go a little more deeply. You've got to remember, though, that I think we all have to remember some very large, let's say a manufacturing company, some very large manufacturing companies have hundreds and hundreds of suppliers. And it, it's going to be very difficult for them to go, you know, tier three, tier four, tier five, on the other hand, let me tell you the secret to that. If we are saying to our suppliers, you have to have a business continuity program if you want to be one of our suppliers. Mm -hmm. And they say to their suppliers, 
you have to have a business continuity program if you want to be one of our suppliers. And I think ultimately that we're going to see that sort of kind of evolving out there throughout the greater supply chain. It's going to take some time, years, but it is going to happen. You have to be very careful with that, though. I've worked with some companies that that I can tell you that there are very small suppliers, almost to the mom and pop level. But what they supply is so critical to that organization that they have to get that little mom and pop organization involved in business continuity. And because some of our suppliers are these very small companies, they don't have the financial wherewithal or the resources. And that's where we're going to come in and start helping them. I like that. And I wanted to ask you sort of one last quick lightning round follow-up to the to the previous statement. Um, what are some of the big risks you're looking for? Is it cyber? Is it their ability to get components? Is it geography? What, what are some things that scare you about suppliers? It's all of those. You know, we know what they supply us. What do they have to have other organizations supply to them so they can supply to us? How are they getting their supplies in? How are they delivering their supplies to us? And so it's taking a look at all of those elements. And you mentioned it, and it has been kind of um, uh, an elephant in the room for a while, not any longer, thank heavens, is the cybersecurity mm-hmm. element of things. What are your suppliers doing about cybersecurity? because a lot of your suppliers may be the avenue into your organization for cyber attacks. And we have to protect ourselves against that. So it has always been my purpose. And I tell you, you can really only request things. Well, you can request them all you want to. You can only require things from suppliers at two times. One, when you're taking them on board, And the only other time is when you're renewing a contract. So just like saying, what does your business continuity program look like? Then we start asking suppliers and potential suppliers, what is included in your cybersecurity program? One, do you have a cybersecurity program? Who owns it? Who's in charge of it? When was it last updated? And Here's the key pro- question we want to ask them. What are you doing to ensure that your company is not a cyber risk to my company? Um, then you have the geopolitical risk. Yes. Uh, I'm yep. working with a customer right now that gets certain supplies out of the Ukraine, and they're starting to, to, to yep. worry about whether that's going to be able to continue or not. And those geopolitical ones are, are things that are are really hard to predict. I mean, we kind of have an idea of some locations where that's more likely than others, but, and some of those geopolitical things can happen overnight. We, it's really hard to monitor those, I believe. So I think if, what I, if it's one of my clients and I'm working with them and one of their key suppliers is in one of those locations, I said, you know, that's great. Keep them as your primary supplier of that component, that raw material, whatever it may be, really time to start looking for a secondary supplier of the same service, the same product, whatever it is that they are. Um, again, we, we, we keep talking about back onshoring and coming back. Yes, but we're not always going to do that. So 
that can be one of your backups to do some onshoring as well as this place that you know has the geopolitical risks. But I think those kinds of places, I look at those even though the risks are not necessarily going to happen often. Sometimes they do happen fat, very quickly. And when they happen, they can bring you to your knees. And that's where I say, start looking for some redundancy. So again, it's the second time you've mentioned something. This time it was risk. And one of the things that I really like to do in this world of resilience mm -hmm. is to be intentional to tie a resilience strategy to the risks that your organization faces. And the reason I like doing that is because it gets people's attention. For example, yes. cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a risk that you know practically every organization faces. Right. And if I can leverage that to get some attention to say, listen, either we need to be asking questions of our suppliers or we need to do these other internal things because of a cybersecurity threat, only good can come from that, right? So what are some questions we should be asking our suppliers about their own resilience, whether it is for cyber or business continuity or disaster recovery? What, what are some questions that are inbounds that we can ask suppliers? I actually have, have, have created and some of my clients use, and we, we tailor it for the organization. It's a 25 question questionnaire, mm -hmm. and it deals with risk. And it talks about business continuity. It talks about resilience. It talks about, you know, specifics to the supply chain. It talks about cyber. We talk about uh, employees and because that's another thing we're having to deal with right now is yeah. lack of employees or lack of talent. Sometimes it's not just how many bodies there are, but it's bodies who have bring expertise and, and knowledge and capabilities to the thing. So it kind of covers all of those areas of risk. But for business continuity, let's focus on that because that's kind of us, you know, that and resilience. First question I always ask is, do you have a business continuity program? Not plan, program. Program. Right. And then uh, if the answer is no, then you know you've got a big problem. If it's yes, then I have about 10 more follow-up. Do you have a company policy that includes business continuity? Who owns the program? program? Mm. You know, who manages the program? When was the last time your plans were updated? How can we know that your plan is going to enable you to keep supplying to us regardless? Betty, is it offsides to ask for evidence of the program? Uh, I do. And here's another one of my things. I tell my clients, somebody says they, that we have a potential customer. They want to see our business continuity program, uh, business continuity plans. Nope, don't do that necessarily. That right. has to be a, a very special thing. But if you have a business continuity program, okay, we know you, you have it. We Do you have, even more importantly, or equally importantly, I guess I'll say, a business continuity program that is endorsed by and supported by your top management? That tells me a lot. That tells me a lot. And, and so you could probably put something together in lieu of providing a plan, like a framework document or an attestation letter from the CEO or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And then if you have a certification, uh, if the company is like ISO 22301, 
that's a very helpful thing that because there are very specific things that have to be included, it's globally accepted. And so that's another thing. What is your company certified by any certification body? What is that body? When was the last certification? Those kinds of questions can be follow-ups. All right. I have two more main questions I want to ask you. And the first one goes back to collaboration. I'll tell you a very quick story. So I'm, um, I wanted to work with this client to try to improve their supply chain resilience. And so I went to the head of uh, the procurement group and I said, listen, um, uh, I'd like to talk to you about this and, and I have some ideas. And based on what I've seen, I feel like we have some vulnerabilities. And what that turned into was very quickly, it became a turf war. They got their back up. They didn't want this guy from business continuity coming in and, and telling them they needed to be more resilient or that they needed to do any evaluation whatsoever. So how would you have coached me? And now how will you coach other people so that we don't run into that same problem? It's just a real quick story. Several years ago, I was speaking at a an organization, an international organization that deals with supply chain. And so I'm giving my spiel about business continuity and how important it is. And I can see one gentleman, he's sitting on the aisle about halfway back. And I could actually see his face almost turn red. And we get to Q&A and he stands up. I don't know how you can even suggest we should be doing this. I have only two things I need to worry about, quality and price of my suppliers. Now you're telling me you want me to add this whole level. So it is kind of a pushback sometimes. Wow, interesting. And it does have a lot to do, I think, with relationships. It's really taking a soft approach and doing some education first and building those relationships and actually get them involved in doing the risk assessment of the supply chain. Make it theirs, not yours. I'm not doing this. I'm not dictating this. This is something that I want to talk to you about and see your views and how you think we can work, you know, not work together, but how we can collaborate and include this in the company. It takes time. We need to have some soft skills here too. Oh, that's critical. Absolutely critical. It can't work if you don't have those or it can't work well you're going to be beating your head against the wall a lot of the time. And then that's a good point. And that goes back to the mentoring we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. All right, let me ask you this. So we know the pandemic has wreaked havoc on supply chains. So let me be naive a minute and say, it's safe to assume that procurement teams already fully aware of supply chain issues. And those of us in the resilience industry, eh, there's nothing really left for us to be, nothing really left for us to do. Uh. Let's just start with this. I think, again, it comes down to that collaboration. I see what's happening now, and I'm seeing this in a lot of really big companies, and I think there's going to be some triple down. The companies are actually working with their key suppliers to help them develop their business continuity capability. Hmm. And I think that as business continuity practitioners, we can be of tremendous help with them. Uh, we can help provide training to suppliers because again, remember some of these suppliers can be very small companies and they see us as being, you know, the big guy on the block and they're the little kid. And so while we're asking all this, I'm seeing a more uh, partnership arrangement between the customer and the supplier. 
And in doing that, if we can help them with their business continuity program development, I think that's one of the things that we can do. We can help train key suppliers. Uh, Again, we can work with the supply chain and even help them be better prepared to work with those suppliers relative to business continuity and resilience. And now's the time to start the conversation because people are aware of what we just went through. Yes. Everybody knows what a stock out is, right? (laughs) People didn't even know what a supply chain was. And I find it very interesting. This is the time. And I think this is the time also uh, for business continuity people to really connect with those supply chain people. We've both been through a really fun couple of years, haven't we? <laughs> and so we, we? We can sit in the corner and cry together, and then we can get up and say, okay, now let's work together more closely and take care of this. It's not going to go away. Supply chain issues are not going to go away. We're not there yet. Uh, six months ago, I was reading that the supply chain chain would likely be back to normal the second half of 2023. Wow. And now I'm reading some that, well, maybe yes and maybe no, and maybe not all parts of it. Mm. It's never going to be as it was before. No part of our businesses are. No, that's right. No, some things are going to be changed forever. And in some cases, changed for the better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We had, you know, they say risk brings opportunities. And I do agree with that. This has brought us such a tremendous amount of learning possibility. As long as we really learn from it and take action on what we've learned and not say, oh, we learned that that was nice and go on as we've gone on as we've uh, been before without making positive change. So a half an hour ago, I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation, but you have really laid out a bunch of very practical tips and insights into collaborating with the supply chains and and making organizations more resilient. And I'm sure as people have listened to the podcast now, they're going to want to connect with you. So I'll get you out of here on this. How can people connect with Betty Kildow? It's really easy. Uh, I've made it easy. I have the easiest email address in the world. It's B-E-T-T-Y-K-I-L-D-O-W at gmail.com. Yeah, that's, 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 that's as fancy as it gets. Also simple. through LinkedIn. And Mark and I, I think, first connected on LinkedIn after a connection at, with the BCI. Uh, so I'm really easy to get in touch with. Always love to hear from people. Uh, again, uh, we, we, as I say, we've got a lot of work yet to do. So we've, we've come so far, but we've still got a lot of work in front of us. Betty, really insightful. Thank you for uh, being a guest on The Resilient Journey. Such a pleasure. Always nice to talk with you, Mark. Special thanks to my guest today, Betty Kildow. And it's always a pleasure to work with the great folks over at Clear Risk. If you'd like to learn more about our new business continuity software package, reach out and I'd be happy to coordinate a demo. We continue addressing significant threats next week when I'm joined by Carla Raffold and we take a serious look at the latest threats in cybersecurity. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.